I've been gone on a big road trip with my youngest daughter who's over there. We wrapped up the road trip visiting my middle daughter who just surprised me and took the train in from Washington, D.C. So for those of you who are watching at home and you didn't, you're not here because of the commute, mm-mm, I'm not buying that. Um, so I met with Logan, I don't know, it's been a while, a couple months ago. We do that, we meet, we talk. And he says, I, I want you to preach a sermon about authority. And I sort of blew him off. <laughs> like, okay, that sounds nice, I'll think about it. And walked out of the meeting, completely not intending to do a sermon about authority, and I knew it, and I knew it when I said it to him that I would think about it. I was not going to preach a sermon about authority. And so I got home and opened up an email from someone who had sent me a link to a song that they said I had come to mind when they heard the song. So I, I click on the link, and as my children can testify, I'm not very good with the Spotify. It's confusing. And I clicked on the link, and the song that they sent me didn't come up, but an album by the same band came up. It was Elevation Worship, for those of y'all who know who they are. And what was the song called? Authority. And that was like 10 minutes after I left my meeting with Logan. And I'd been reading in Hebrews. And for, for those of you who have read Hebrews recently, it talks all about the authority of your spiritual leaders, of your church leaders. So I got the message. I texted Logan. I get the assignment. I'm on it. I'll, I'm writing a sermon about authority. So today, that's what we're, the sermon is about is authority. And like Logan said, we're wrapping up our sermon series called Lead Us Back. And that's our plea to God, the desperate cry of people who have been wandering and feel lost, lead us back. And that's, of course, a reference to ancient Israel. But like everything else in Scripture, it has a modern application, and it sounds a lot like us. Like something we could be saying right now, lead us back. I feel like in most conversations I've had recently, someone says something to the effect of the world has lost its mind. There's violence and variance and natural, natural disasters and people are so confused they don't even know who to cancel anymore. It's crazy out there. Lead us back. Lead us back to a simpler time. A time of peace and order and prosperity and love. But if God's going to lead us back, it requires that we actually follow him. It assumes, we assume, when we make that request, that he will hear our cry that he's compassionate enough to respond to it, and that he has the power and the authority to actually do something about our problem. And because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, God's response to us will be the same as it was to ancient Israel. I will lead you back. I'll clear the way of any obstacles or enemies 
I'll provide everything that you need. It will literally fall from the sky. I can open doors no one else can. I can win battles no one else can. And I can protect you like no one else can. But if I lead, do you really want to follow? If we're going to follow him, we have to acknowledge that he's in charge. We have to assume that we'll need to give some things up. That we'll need to choose his way when it diverges from our own. Not because he's power hungry, but because he has a plan and it's a good plan. Does it, so just got off the road trip. We used Waze the whole time from California all the way back to New York. Does anyone else here use Waze? It's, it's conflicting, right? It's conflicting, especially when you're using it to go somewhere you kind of know already how to get there. I know this is controversial because I've been in more than one heated argument about this topic. But I, I, I'll reveal to you that I am a purest ways follower. Just do what it says. Just do what it says. If you're not going to do what it says, you're going to go your own way. Why do you even have the app? Why are you taking up the space on your phone? If you're not going to do the thing that Waze says. That app knows some things that you don't know. That app sees things that you don't see. People all over the place are telling Waze what's happening in places that we can't see. Will it really get you... Will it really get to where you want to go faster? I don't know. It's hard to trust it, right? It's hard to trust it. Who's in that box? Who's in that box telling me where to go? How do I know the algorithms make any sense? I actually got in an argument with a math professor at Princeton about the Waze algorithms. Let me tell you how much I know about Waze algorithms or anybody else's algorithms. Zero. But I totally won the argument. Just do what it says. Trust the ways. If we remain deadlocked in a constant battle of the wills, with ways or with God, we're going to end up lost. We're going to end up vulnerable. We're going to end up starving to death, making circles around a mountain in the Holy Land or New Jersey, which is worse. So this morning, I want to take a look at God's authority. Let's talk about God's authority. And the first point of the sermon is, in fact, God's authority. And then we're going to talk about Jesus' authority and then our authority. So let's make God's authority a quick sermon point. And just assume that we believe God actually has authority, right? I mean, we're here. You would be at brunch if you didn't think God had some authority. So let's just settle that one now. Genesis 1 describes God speaking the universe into being. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And so it continued. At the sound of God's voice, 
atoms and matter and particles and all the things that the universe is made of fell into formation. Light and darkness, day and night, seas and sky and land and plants and trees and the moon and the sun and the stars and birds and fish and wild animals and of course people. And we'll get to we'll get to them in a minute. But he has full dominion over all of it at the cellular level. It's not so hard to believe that God has authority. When things feel out of control, the idea of a higher power, someone looking down at a cosmic level, looking down at us little bitty people in this great big world provides comfort. That's comforting even if you don't really know him. It's not hard to believe he has authority. But what we really want to know, the thing that gets us stuck is how big is his authority? What can he do with it? How does he use it? Does he share it with people? For the purpose of today's discussion, I'm going to call those things the scope and the stewardship of authority. How big is it? What's included? And how is it used? Scope and the stewardship. So let's look at the scope and stewardship of God's authority. Psalm 24 says, The earth is his and everything in it. The scope of God's authority is infinite. His dominion is all-encompassing. It's not bound by space or time or even the laws of nature. God Almighty sits above all these other spheres of influence and life and power. Both the natural and spirit worlds, governments, economies, religions, societies, all of that are under him. But scripture reveals that God in his wisdom... And for his pleasure, which means because he likes it that way, ordained that created beings would be given a measure of authority over those spheres of influence. Romans 13.1 says, for there is no authority except that which God has established. All authority comes from God. Only he can give it. He made it so that there would be rulers under him, so that the title King of Kings means something. There would be other kings below the true king. There would be other lords under the ultimate lord. There are angels, archangels, saints, demons, human beings, political leaders, economic leaders, family leaders, church leaders. They've all been given some form of authority. And we know that the authority of a true king passes to his heir. And we know that God's own and only heir was Jesus Christ. His only son was Jesus Christ. So God established Jesus' authority to look just like his own. In the New Testament, Jesus is very clear about the source and the scope and the stewardship of his authority. In John 14, 10, he tells his disciples the source of his authority. Don't you believe that I'm the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak from my own authority. Rather, it is the Father 
living in me who is doing his work. So God's the source of Jesus' authority. What about the scope of Jesus' authority? Where does Jesus have dominion? What's he empowered to do? When Jesus gave the disciples the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he told them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. That's definitive. It's all-inclusive. All authority over all beings in all places unbound by time or space. I'm going to go off my notes here for a second and give you a little bonus. That's the beginning of the Great Commission, right? All authority has been given to me. And then what happens next? He says, go and teach the gospel. That's what we usually hear when we talk about the Great Commission. That's verses 18 and 19. What you don't usually hear paired with that are the verses that come before it. 16 and 17, and it says the disciples went, I'm paraphrasing here, the disciples went to meet Jesus on the mountain, and they worshipped him, and some doubted. They worshipped him, and some doubted. You mean you can actually be in the very presence of Jesus Christ himself and still doubt? Still doubt his authority? You mean you can stand up at Tudobrosa Street being led by world-class worship leaders and sing and worship to our God and still doubt him? Yes, that's what happened with the disciples. Therefore, therefore, you're doubting me and I'm telling you I've been given authority, all the authority by God himself. Therefore, Go. Do what I say. So all authority on heaven and earth, that's, that includes the spiritual realm, but also the natural realm, right? So earth is nature. Heaven, heaven and earth is the spiritual realm. And he has authority over beings that we can't even see. So, of course, angels, right? That's a no-brainer. But also demons, Jesus never met a demonized person who did not immediately recognize who he was and did exactly what he said, no questions asked. Demons. Jesus had authority over sickness. He could rebuke a fever and it would leave a child's body. He had the authority to forgive sins. And that one really made the religious leaders mad, like Logan read earlier. That put him on par with God himself. He has authority over nature. He commanded fish to jump into Peter's net without even speaking. He said, peace be still in a storm, and immediately it was calm. And the rest of the people in the boat said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. God also gave Jesus authority as the gatekeeper. No one comes to the Father except by me. He gave him authority as judge. Logan read that early, earlier. He's given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. And he gave him authority as a teacher. Matthew 7 tells us that crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as one of their teachers of the law. And most importantly, the scope of Jesus' authority includes power over life and death. 
For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. And here's why the scope of Jesus' authority is important to us, to our daily lives. The fact that Jesus has authority in heaven and in earth means that there is no power that we have to fear. No power. We're going to do some audience participation here, which makes white church people really uncomfortable, but we're going to do it anyway. Somebody in the room tell me something you fear right now. Something real. Somebody. We're going to stand here all day. i got lots of time. Something? Anybody? Come on, be vulnerable. Do you fear saying what your fears are? Yes. Okay, those are two really good ones. And if you combine them, they're really, really scary. Dying. (laughs) Dying and not being loved. Okay, where did those things happen? In heaven or on earth? Dying and being loved. On earth. Okay, good news. Jesus has that covered. He has dominion over your fear, over the things that cause you that fear. Who else? Come on, another fear. Spiders? Did you hear that, Claire Marriott? Spiders. Heaven or earth? Spiders. Earth. They're on earth. Great news. Jesus has dominion over spiders. That's not a joke. If you ask Claire, that is not a joke. (laughs) Jesus' authority means that we do not have to live a defeated life. That's what that means. That Elevation song called Authority that God made me listen to, here are some of the words. Creation knows the voice that spoke into the void, the breath that brought the dust to life and sang the stars to form. The darkness fears the voice that drove it back before. And though the night is long, I know your light will drive it back once more. Did you hear that? And can you process what that means for you in your own life? His voice drove back the darkness by speaking light into existence. And even though it seems like the darkness, your darkness is in control right now, he's going to drive it back again. So let's look at how Jesus stewards his authority. How does Jesus handle this immense authority that God granted him? How does he handle himself as he employs it? He was humble at the administration of his authority. John 13 says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So as he got up from the meal, they're, they're at the Last Supper, sorry, just before it, Passover, he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew he'd been given authority, so he's at dinner with his disciples, and what does he do? Flex and ask somebody to bring him a new glass of wine? No. He washed their feet. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, 
So he washed their feet? God had put him in the highest place. So he put himself in the lowest place. This happened, like I said, just before Passover. The last supper before Jesus would be crucified. When God's right order would be restored. When the first would be made last and the last made first. When the foolish would shame the wise and the weak would be made strong. Jesus exemplified that. His father's plan, his father's right order by humbling himself. He knew that authority was given to him so that he could complete his work for God's kingdom. And to fully access that power, he had to put things in the right order. He had to put his authority under the authority of his fathers. He had to humble himself. And so the Messiah washed his followers' feet. And because Jesus was humble, he was able to be fully submissive to the other authorities in his life. Jesus was also submissive to his earthly parents' authority, even though he was their creator. He submitted to governmental and religious authorities, even though they persecuted him. Throughout his entire life, he submitted to the law of Moses. He studied scripture and he trained as a rabbi, even though he knew that his death and resurrection would soon abolish that law. Yet, he never broke it. In order to claim his own authority, Jesus had to be in full submission and communion with its source, his Father in heaven. John 5, 19 says, I tell you the truth, the son could do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father said, whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, did that save Jesus' life? Did it keep him safe? No. But did Jesus have anything to fear? No. He remained humble and obedient. No one has ever shown the amount of submission that Jesus did. So now let's get to the good stuff, our authority. It is often decorated by the deceiver with things like bossiness, confidence, being right all the time. You see where I'm going with this? It's a curse. And that's not authority. Authority isn't those things even though Satan would like us to believe that it is. What really is our authority, though? What's the, obviously we know the source, the source and the scope and the stewardship of our authority. What does that look like? It started in the beginning. Genesis 1 tells us God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move over the ground. And so God established our authority over the physical earth to rule over it and care for it. That's our sphere of influence. He set us up with this incredible creation, this paradise of earth and sea and sky 
with all kinds of creatures, birds, livestock, wild animals, and creatures that move along the ground. Bugs, snakes, spiders. And I'm just gonna assume that somehow within the context of paradise, all those things are more appealing. But even with all their authority, Adam and Eve were still aware of God's dominion over them. They were here, they were given the authority to reign over the earth, but they were dependent on God and on their communion with him. In order to administer that authority over creation, they had to stay connected to God and submitted to him. They had to trust him. They had to obey him or their arrangement would fall apart. And of course, we know that it did fall apart. They were soon deceived into surrendering that authority to Satan. They withdrew their trust from God and handed it over to his enemy. That lifeline of submission to the source of their authority was broken. And instead of serving God, they were now serving darkness. That moment in the garden was not about apples. It was a regime change. Did that fruit kill Adam and Eve? Not in that moment, remarkably. But it established Satan as the ruling authority of choice. And it has killed every human since. Instead of living in perfect communion like God had intended, his people are now living in a broken world and God could not bear it. So sparing no cost, he sent Jesus to recapture the authority that Satan had stolen through our disobedience in the garden. Ephesians 2, 4 says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sin. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. So with the full authority of his heavenly father, Jesus humbled himself, dying a horrific, unjustified death on the cross, taking with him the burden of all our sin, and he was buried, and three days later, after having defeated Satan in the depths of hell, he walked out of that tomb straight to his disciples and handed back to them the authority that had been stolen centuries before. He gave us back our lives and reestablished our authority. So God was the original source of our authority and then through Jesus Christ, he redeemed it after we had given it away. So what's the scope of our authority and what does it entail? Mark 16, 15 says, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And this business about taking up ser serpents is not about passing around a rattlesnake in a revival tent. It's a reference to the protection that Jesus' disciples needed as they went out 
to preach the gospel. They traveled on foot often on undeveloped roads that they shared with things like snakes and scorpions. Again, with the snakes in the sermon was the deal. Um, so Jesus is describing his protection over them. And so we in the modern civilized world don't necessarily share the same perils, but our journey is perilous nevertheless, yes? So we need that same protection and we enjoy that same protection. So the scope of our authority maps directly to the same things Jesus' own authority empowered him to do, preaching, teaching, doing miracles, healing the sick. And most importantly, we also have the authority to successfully stand against Satan. Satan wants to see to it that you never step into your God-given authority. Women, I want you to hear that. Satan wants to see to it that you do not step into your God-given authority, that you stay quiet, that you do not speak the name of Jesus Christ. Because when you do, Satan is powerless over you. He has no defense against you when you walk in the power of God's word. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have the power and the authority of the word of God. You have the name of Jesus and you are filled with his Holy Spirit. And with those things, you have the authority to run Satan completely out of your life. But you have to claim it. You have to use it and you have to take care of it. Just like our scope and our source of authority are the same as Jesus, we too have to be good stewards of authority like he was. We have to take care of it. We have to use it appropriately. Like Jesus, we have to respond to our anointing with unconditional surrender, obedience, humility. Otherwise, we just continue to cede it back to the enemy who is lurking around ready to steal it again. You cannot have authority until you claim it and then get under the authority that's over you. But we're rebels. At a very early age, we start questioning and testing authority. We feel very satisfied the first time of many that we say that all-powerful playground assertion, you are not the boss of me. We try to make deals with God as if he's trying to take something from us. We partially surrender or we surrender to the concept but jack around with his timing. Partial surrender, partial, sorry, partial disobedience is still a disobedience. It's all or nothing. And then we blame God for the consequences that we experience. Lost again? God must have abandoned me. The cause of our problems is our failure to surrender. It's not God's failure to lead. Everything we do will be far more powerful, far more successful, and a lot easier 
if we did it with a sense of submission to God's authority through Jesus Christ. Jesus did nothing apart from that. If you're spending your time rebelling against either heavenly or earthly authority, you're wasting that time. Paul says you're like a boxer who's fighting the air. We were created to serve, and so therefore we must choose whom we serve. You can absolutely choose to reject Jesus' authority, to let doubt and pride stand between you, but then you'll be serving Satan. The choice isn't between Jesus and independence. It's between being under the authority of Jesus and being under the authority of darkness. That's the choice. Do not be deceived into thinking that you won't serve someone. That is a lie. Romans 6, 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we are, no, we are no longer under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Therefore, fellow rebels, I urge you to come under the authority of the king. Step into the kingdom. Enter through the narrow gate and submit humbly to his rule. Confess your sins. Recognize that Jesus is in fact the Lamb of God whose death atones for the sins of the world. Give your life to him and receive salvation. Salvation from what? I don't need salvation. Mm. He's saving you from yourself. He's saving you from your rebellion, from your doubt and your pride. He's giving you back the authority that you're constantly trying to give away. And if you've already done all that, first, praise God. But I also want to challenge you. Those of you who already consider yourselves surrendered to Christ, tell me if I'm wrong about this. As you grow in your relationship with him, after you submit that sort of first tranche of obvious things in your life to his authority. Maybe you gave up foul language. I'm still working on that one. Party, maybe party less, taking a break from promiscuity, you join a church. Those are incredible things. So hard to lay down. And I encourage you to get into community so that others who are trying to do those same things can support you. But once you get into this process of surrender, it says it keep going and it gets deeper and deeper and the Holy Spirit starts revealing more things and more things and more things that we have to submit to God's authority. You guys, it is a really long list. I've been chipping away at it for over 50 years and the end is nowhere in sight. I was in New Orleans with some of my best friends from growing up, 
then there was a, another person with us who we had all just met. And we're just talking about, you know, how we used to be in college, I mean, in high school, now that we're all adults. And I said something along the lines that I was a, a real rule follower when I was a kid. And my best friend <laughs> spewed wine out her nose all over the table laughing and says, rule follower, whose rules were you following? That is not how I remember it, I think. But... We're all, we're all less rule followers than we think we are. I think you're likely going to find yourself asking God the same question that the religious leaders were asking Jesus. By what authority are you saying and doing these things? By what authority are you telling me how to spend my money? By what authority are you telling me who to spend my time with? By the same authority that breathed life into your lungs. By the same authority that commanded the stars to hang in the sky. And I want to now transition to a little bonus section of our authority. And talk about the authority of the church and its leaders. Y'all know I love to stir, stir a good pot. The enemy is a big time bully on this playground, this topic. The questioning of authority, the abuse of it, and our resistance to it is a major barrier to a rich relationship with God. It's a major reason why some people won't darken the door of a church. None of us wants to be told what to do, not by God, and certainly not by a bunch of his lackeys who are power-hungry and money-hungry and self-righteous imposters. And for good reason, in a lot of cases, people abuse authority. Church leaders have abused authority. They've physically and emotionally and spiritually abuse people who were commended into their care. They've misused resources that came from hard-working, God-loving hearts. I want to be clear about something, which is that none of that is okay. None of that is acceptable in any realm on heaven, on earth, or in heaven at any time, under any circumstance. Our spiritual and church leaders will be held to a greater level of scrutiny on that day. They will be held accountable in this life and the next. So there should be fear and trembling for anybody who ever considers entering into the role of church leadership. Yes? Yes. So I just want to address that up front so that you can know that when I'm speaking of submission to authority within the church, it does not include accepting abuse. Hebrews 13 gives us some insight into the role and authority of church leaders and our own responsibility within the body. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And you skip down to verse 17 and it says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. 
because they keep watch over you. As those who must give an account, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. What does that mean exactly? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So like Jesus and the rest of us, church leaders have to remain in full submission to the authority of Christ. I don't want to put Logan or Phil on the spot today. So let's instead look at Paul for an example of what that means. What the outcomes submission has on their lives as faith leaders. Paul's a beautiful example of a church leader who considered his work joy and not a burden. He truly lived under this premise that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. He was all in, fully submitted to the authority of Christ. And even though much of his life was spent in shackles or behind bars, he was free. This is paraphrased from a sermon I recently heard by Matt Chandler about Paul. The Romans said, Paul, you better quit talking about this Jesus or we're going to kill you. Great. To die is gain. Never mind, we're going to let you live. Great. To live is Christ. We're going to torture you. Okay, well, I'm not going to enjoy that, but these momentary pains can't compare to future glory, so go ahead and do what you got to do. We're going to lock you up and throw away the key. Great, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship my God, who more than likely will send an angel to get me out of jail. But if he doesn't do that, what I'm going to do is convert your jail keepers so that they then will go out and spread the message that I wish I were spreading, but except I'm locked up in this jail. All the prophetic believers around Paul warned him, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. And he said, yes, the Spirit's telling me the same thing. Pray for me. And then he took off and went to Jerusalem. I see you, enemy, but what can you do to me that matters when I know the eternal reward that waits for me? That is what it means to put humanly, earthly powers in their right place. Someone who understands the full authority of Jesus Christ is an untouchable human being by earthly powers. That kind of faith and submission is supernatural because so far Jesus is the only one that's been able to do it. It requires a community of believers supporting their leaders and their leaders fully sustain submission from all sides. From the moment they accept their calling, we have to cover our leaders up with prayer. You might think the devil is busy screwing up your life, but I assure you, he is working at least twice as hard in Logan's life, in Phil's life, in Jasmine's life, and Marcy's life. And Godfrey's life. You know who was the biggest critic of religious leaders? Jesus. He just eviscerated them any chance he got. And he still kind of does. Do you, is that true, Logan? Do you experience this? Is Jesus hard on you sometimes? 
But he also backed them up and their God-given authority. Matthew 23, 1 says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. Well, great. What am I supposed to do with that? So you're telling me that if God puts, puts a bunch of bozos in charge of this church, I just got to do what they say, and I don't have any choice about it? Consider this. Rather than running away or providing commentary from the bleachers, what might happen if you claimed your own authority in the name of Jesus Christ and engaged in the battle? What if, like Hebrews suggests, we hit our knees every time we think of one of our pastors? What if we lock arms with other believers, combine our armor, and engage in the spiritual fight. Do whatever we have to do to preserve the work that Jesus left us to do. To once and for all wrest authority back from the enemy here in our domain, in our city, in this church. I was so inspired a couple of weeks ago when the band sang, This Is My Father's World. And I will spare you and not sing it. But this is the, uh, the verse that really just had me standing up singing in my mom's house, which is even weirder than me doing it right here. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seem, seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, will be satisfied, and earth and heaven will be one. Here's news. You can hasten the day that that happens. You can say his name. You can invoke his name. You can speak out against that darkness with the full authority of Jesus Christ himself, the same authority that wielded, that he wielded over death when he walked out of his own grave. That's your authority. Step into it. Uh, it is good to hear your voices. Uh, I'm just going to ask you for a moment to take a seat. Uh, we just have one more announcement today before we head out of service. Um, <laughs> You good back there? You good? That, that was good. Yeah, it's hard for me to interrupt um, and follow Esther with anything. Esther and Andy together, the power couple. So, yes. Um, um, so uh, our last announcement today has to actually do with Kara Marriott, who you got to hear God's word powerfully preached through today. So Kara has served on our team of pastors uh, for over a decade, uh, but longer than that, she has been a significant and important part of this community. Um, and today, part of what we're announcing is that her role is shifting in this community. Uh, her assignment has changed, and we're honoring God's call on her life in this way, that she's moving out of our team of pastors, which oversees the people of this church, the vision of this church, and she's moving into a role where she'll continue to be a part of our community. She's not leaving LMCC, praise God. Um, but she's moving into a role where she'll continue to use her authority that God has given her, not in an assignment of a role inside of a church, but as 
God's call as a daughter of the king to do his kingdom work, we'll still lean into her wisdom. She's still going to preach the same fire and truth and prophetic words that she has. And she'll be developing leaders within our community. But over the course of these last few months, we've been praying and saying, God, show what the next assignment is, and that's what's to come. And so she's going to come up and deliver our benediction in a second. But I need you to understand that Kara was a part of resurrecting this church in the mid-2000s that her love for the people of this community and her love for me and my family um, is something that will not be rewarded in this life, but in the life to come, we're gonna spend all this time hearing Jesus praise the work that she did. But not just as a role as a pastor. Kara pastors the way she lives. And that means that if you've interacted with her, you've experienced a prophetic blessing in your life. You've experienced the miracle of someone that loves God more than they love you, Therefore, you're going to get the greatest benefit from God through her. And so that's what she has done as a spouse, as a mom, in every boardroom that God has brought her into, on street corners of this city that she's blessed her friends and neighbors. And so we want to honor and thank God for Kara and the role that she's played, but that God put her and her family in this community because it's been a huge gift, and I'm glad it's not done. And so as Kara comes back up, will you just give her a round of applause and say thank you? If I could invite some of our pastors and prayer leaders, we're going to pray over Kara. Um, just a blessing and thanks. So yeah, if you'll stand, stand with me as we pray. Um, we're going to pray and surround her. She has a few things that she'll say in the bened- and then the benediction. Um, and with that, come on up to pray over her. And as you're in the audience, just reach out your hand as a way of just kind of joining us and affirming us. Our, world, our blessing onto Kara's next assignment. God, as we sung just a minute ago, you are holy. Your name is power and breath and living water. And so we praise you that you saved this, your daughter, that you called her to your kingdom work, that you have empowered her with gifts beyond what she's even experienced yet. We praise you that we have been blessed to be led by her as one of our pastors. We praise you that you have done miraculous works through our words and our prayers and our faithful service. And we praise you for this next assignment because you have anointed it with the same level of faithfulness and power as she has served in her last assignment in this body. And so may you lift up her eyes to the next assignment and the next thing, the next person that your power may flow through her once more in blessing to this community, to this city, to her family, and to many more that she will empower with your truth and life. God, increase her gifts of prophecy, increase her gifts of healing, increase her ability to walk in the authority that you've given her as a daughter of you, King Jesus. And so together collectively, we bless her. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kara.
Okay, am I back on? Can y'all hear me? No? Yes. Um, I don't have much to say because that sermon was way longer than I meant for it to be. Um, I've been serving over 15 years on this team. I've served under three pastors of this church, and I've been asking God for a little over 15 years to let me out of this assignment. It is hard, um, but it's also a miracle, and I've seen a lot of those. And I've told all three of those pastors there, will, there might come a day when you, you don't need me in this role anymore, when my, hold on, there's just going to come a day, and I'm trusting you to tell me when that day is. And Logan didn't tell me, but um, through a series, God told me, and through a series of confirmation exercises, that's a whole other sermon we could do sometime, right, is how do you seek God's confirmation? He was faithful and over and over and over confirmed to me that it was time, that it was time to step down. And I feel great about doing it mostly just... 100% just because God said to, and I'm terrified not to do what he says to do. But I also feel great about it because this church has never been in better shape financially. Um, I leave this team of pastors in the hands of three, we brought three amazing, just incredible um, lay pastors who seek God like nobody's business. Um, we have a new associate pastor. It, it's just all there, all the things, and all the things that I don't even know that this church needs. Um, I never knew what this church needed. I just stuck around waiting for God to tell me how to move, how to act, what to do next. So in the day-to-day, -day, you're not going to know the difference <laughs> whether I'm on the team of pastors or not. You're still going to have to put up with me. I'm still going to be around. And I really, I don't know what God's up to, but I have a strong suspicion that it's going to afford me more opportunities to dig deeper with some of you as individuals in the way that I've always wanted to and not always had the, the opportunity to do that. So look out, I'm coming for you. And now for the benediction. This is from Ephesians 1.18. And in the spirit of uh, surrendering to authority, there's a coda on the, I'm going to read a scripture and then the verses of kind of a cheesy song, but it's, it's a long story, but God told me to use this in the benedictions. I'm going I'm to do it. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. May the Lord God, almighty God, bless and keep you forever. Grant you peace perfect peace, courage in every endeavor. Lift up your eyes and see his face. May the Lord Almighty God bless and keep you forever. Go in peace.